Well, good morning, Phoenix Bible Church. I am so glad to be here. I'm really, really excited. I feel like I know you, although I don't really, I've I've probably met very, very few of you. I feel like I know you because of my friendship with your pastor, Tim. Uh, And so he talks a lot about you. And uh, it's been great uh, being friends with him. He's become a very good friend of mine. In fact, uh, we just spent some time a couple weeks ago. We uh, climbed the mountain up in Flagstaff, uh, up to over 12,000 feet. So uh, you should know that your pastor is a very manly man. Uh, in fact, I got a picture up there. Um, he, uh, he, I didn't want to do that, but he, he convinced me uh, that, that we should do that. And so, you know, it's whatever. The uh, Christmas cards will be out shortly. Uh, this is, we're the poster children now of the Churches United in Phoenix. Uh, but he does. He speaks, he speaks about you very, very fondly uh, with love. And uh, so I want you to know that, uh, that uh, this isn't just a job for him. His heart and soul is in this church and you. And uh, so it's, it's been really, really great to kind of get to know you through him. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's a privilege for me to come and wrap up the series on love. What is love? And so as a church, I know you've been walking through different, different relationships, uh, marriage, uh, singleness, uh, things even like communication, conflict, sex, um, all these things. And now so I get to wrap it up here with parenting. And uh, just so you know where I'm coming from a little bit, uh, I'm not an expert on parenting at all. I'm just a humble pastor uh, trying to make it in this life. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw up on you with my failures today is what's going to happen. So I learned the hard way when it comes to parenting, and so uh, that's, that's how that's going to go. Uh, for those of you, there's a lot of you here who aren't parents, and uh, I don't want you to check out, all right? Don't tune out on me because that's rude. Also, also, uh, every one of us has kids in our lives. And here's the other thing. The parents that are sitting around you, they need you. They need those of you without kids. You don't have kids yet, right? So some of this stuff, like, you can file away for later, but let's be honest. We're not going to remember this stuff when you become parents. But for right now, the parents in your lives, they need you. They need someone younger and cooler than them to say the same things they're saying. I can say this from experience as a, as a father. I'm, I'm always looking around for other people in my life, younger people who love Jesus and who love my kids and are soon that saying the same things that I'm saying, but for whatever reason, when they say it, it's awesome. So that's, that's your role in all this. So together, you as a church family are, are helping to raise these kids. So we're all in this together. I have three kids. My wife and I, uh, Shannon, my wife and I have three kids. They are, gosh, I feel so old. My oldest, guys, is getting married on Friday. Yes, I know. It's exciting. Uh, and so he's, he's getting married. And uh, then my, my next son is a freshman at a- ASU. And then my daughter is a junior at, uh, in high school. So we, we've, uh, we've kind of done a lot of things. Like I said, I've made a lot of mistakes that I'm going I'm to throw up some of those on you today. I'm going to stop saying that word because that's gross. Uh, but that's kind of what it is. That's what it feels like a little bit. Um, I also will say, uh, for those of you who are, are, who are on a freight train toward the teenage years, I can tell you they're the best. All right? So don't be afraid of the teenage years. They're so awesome. They're a ton of fun. So um, here we are. Talking about parenting, and as I was thinking about parenting and, and, and looking at this and pre- preparing for this morning, I was thinking about, like, why, 
why is parenting so hard? It's really, it's one, it's one of, if not the hardest thing I've ever done. I can stand up here and before you and God say, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. And so why, why is it so hard? And as I was thinking, gosh, why, what was so hard about it? Of course, different memories came to mind. And I want to share a memory with you, um, sort of in the spirit of, of explaining why it's so hard, but also my failures in all this. My oldest, Gabriel, when he was about three months old, no older than that, three months old, uh, we had friends over uh, who were staying with us for a few nights, and so uh, we let them have our room, and we took the guest room, and we had Gabriel in there with us uh, in his little porta crib thing. And I remember he was having a rough night. He was up a lot and crying, and in the middle of the night, I'm a young, young dad, and so I don't know what I'm doing, and so, of course, I love my son, but I also love my sleep. And so he is crying his head off. And about two in the morning, mind you, he's three months old. He doesn't know what he's doing. About two, three in the morning, I sit up in bed and I said, Gabriel, shut up. And of course he said, oh, sorry, father, and went back to sleep. <laughs> my, my, my wife was really impressed with me that night. And I, I look back on that. I'm still embarrassed to talk about that. And I, I realized, man, I am... I just trial and error. And so I want to encourage you parents today. I want to encourage um, really the whole room in here today that it, it's parenting relationships are messy and we're not perfect at it. And one of the best things we can do is recognize our shortcomings and apologize to those we love around us in that process. Um, but I want to share with you just from some of my, some of my failings um, some of the difficult things. And there's a lot, all sorts of reasons, right, that, that it's difficult. There's relational dynamics. Uh, there's hormones. There's school. There's friendship dynamics. There's family dynamics. All of those things. But one of the things I wanted to share with you through that story is that one of the biggest problems, one of the reasons parenting is so hard, is me. I'm the problem. I'm a big part of this equation because I am so selfish I am so self-absorbed. I think if, just to be honest, in my own sin, in my, in my flesh, and my desires, I'm gonna choose me first and my sleep or whatever else that is. Uh, the Apostle Paul um, talks about families in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians chapter five and six. So if you have a Bible, actually open up your Bible to uh, Ephesians. We're gonna look at five, two, and then we're gonna camp out in Ephesians chapter six, verse four. You should know, <laughs> I got the way better end of this deal as uh, Pastor Tim is up at, at, at our church, Heritage Church. Um, I, we're going through Genesis, and so I looked at the dates, and I go, all right, Tim, you're doing the flood, Genesis chapters eight, nine, and 10. Here you go. I've got a verse and a half here this morning, so... I got the better end of that. We may not do this ever again. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how he does up there with that. But uh, so you can send up a prayer for him. Um, Paul here in Ephesians is talking to the household. He's talking to the family. Uh, and in, in, in many ways, he's talking, he's addressing a lot of the things that you have been talking about and addressing over the course of these last few weeks. Because relationships are hard. And, and, and what does the Bible have to say about relationships? And we see that it has to say a ton, a ton of stuff. Because really... Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is expressed in our relationships, 
right? Jesus connects those two things. Love God, and the second is like it. That second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Well, it's the people sitting around you. It's the people in your life, the people that you come across on a day-to-day basis. Our love for God is primarily expressed through our love for one another. And that's a huge task. But it's something that we have been commanded, called to do, particularly as followers of Jesus Christ. And so in Ephesians 5, at the beginning of verse 2, Paul writes this. He says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's a heavy task. We're to walk in love. How? Well, as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. This this concept ought to permeate the way we approach our relationships in love. How do I love the person in front of me? Whether it's a family member or a friend or even a stranger, how? Well, as Christ loved. Well, how did Christ love? He gave himself up for us. It's not that we're to go and literally die, but Jesus did say, take up your cross. My selfishness, my me-centeredness that makes parenting and other relationships so hard, I got to put that aside. And Jesus is my example in that. So, he goes on to say then, and this is where we're going to hang out here, is in verse 4 of chapter 6. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger. When he says fathers there, by the way, uh, we translate that Greek word fathers. It actually just means parents. So he's addressing parents specifically, but the rest of you, the room, you know, you guys can latch on to that and just let the spirit guide you and, you know, what to, what to take hold of and how to apply that particularly to the kids that are in your life, even if you aren't a parent. But fathers means parents. And he says, don't provoke your children to anger. Other translations uh, say, stir up. So it's this idea of like causing trouble, right? Just stirring the pot. Or other translations say, uh, don't exasperate your kids, right? Fathers, parents, don't exasperate your kids. And it's in this moment that the parents in the room are like, wait a minute. Who's exasperating who here? Right? Because as parents, like we're... We're just trying to keep, a, keep the peace. Like, uh, how am I trying to, how am I exasperating my kids? Am I doing this maliciously as a father? If anything, I just want there to be peace and quiet in the house, right? And yet he says, parents, don't exasperate your kids. Don't stir them up. I think we can stir our kids up on purpose, and you and I have done this before because we like the reactions that we can get, and, you know, we treat it as this little social experiment, and then we regret it later. But most often, I realized, as I was thinking and praying through this, what I realized is that I exasperate my kids, not maliciously or um, aggressively. I do it passively. I do it because I'm lazy. I exasperate, I stir up, I provoke my kids out of my own selfishness and laziness. And I'm not saying that we're generally lazy people, all right? So don't hear, don't, don't hear me saying that. I'm not calling you lazy, particularly parents. Like you, guys are, you guys work hard. You're hard workers. But after a long day, right, it's, it's really easy to, to choose me when it comes to 
my kids or my wife or anybody else in my life for that matter. I think we do so out of laziness. We take the path of least resistance. And so, with that in mind, I want to highlight three things, three ways that we can tend to provoke our kids. We provoke our kids when we ignore them, when we compare, and we forget. So, we provoke our kids when we ignore opportunities to spend time with them. Now, we need balance in this. We need balance and, and time with them. There's, there's healthy time away from your kids, all right? You need that. Um, sometimes we get into this, mind, this mindset, this frame of mind that as good parents, we have to include our kids in everything and, and be with them all the time in everything and all that stuff. We got to have some boundaries there. There's got to be a balance there. You do need time away from your kids. You are not a bad parent if you desire that because it recharges you, it gives you perspective, and all sorts of things. I'm not going to go into that entirely. But on the flip side, uh, we can neglect time with our kids as well. We ignore opportunities to spend time with them because it's really easy to convince myself that I, I need me time. Like when I get home from a long, long day of work, I just want to check out for a little bit. I found that I had to give myself, especially when my kids were really little. Now I come home, like my, my, my teenagers, like two of them aren't even in the home anymore, but even when they were, now I come home and it's just crickets. I open the door, I'm just, dad is home. And nobody's there, right, like to, to welcome me or anything like that. So I do miss that, you know, when they were young and toddlers. I mean, they'd hear the key in the door and they would come running and I'd fly open the door and they'd be all over me and stuff. Cherish that, it's awesome because that does go away. But still in that, there's this me time that I want. And there are a million distractions. There's, all, there's so many distractions that just want our time, that are desperate for our time. In fact, I get, do you get those, those weekly notifications that tell you about your screen time on your phone? It's shocking. Uh, you should have that on just to keep yourself in check. I was embarrassed when it came on today, and then it breaks it down to show you. Because it's so easy to just check out on stuff like this when there's people right in front of us who need our attention, particularly the kids in our life. And so we ignore our, uh, we provoke them when we ignore opportunities to spend time with our kids. Our, our kids get provoked or stirred up when they feel ignored by us. You know this happens, right? You know that as soon as you ignore your kids, they go bonkers and they go crazy and they just vie for your affection and your attention. Um, we provoke our kids when we ignore opportunities to spend time with them. Uh, we also provoke our kids when we ignore the symptoms behind the behavior. You ever been at a store and you see a kid acting up? Like mom or dad, is, is, or, you know, somebody is, is pushing, pushing the cart around and kids are just acting up. Maybe you've been in the fortunate circumstance to have experienced that yourself as a parent. I don't know what it is about Target, but you, know, you walk in there and you're pushing this cart around and kids just lose their minds. And all of a sudden, like you, you suddenly, you don't know even how it got there, you suddenly have this hostage negotiation situation on your hands in the middle of the grocery store or the department store or whatever, and you're the hostage in all of this, and then you start threatening things you can't even legally follow through on in the middle of this mayhem and the, you know, like things like, you ever said this before if you, if you have kids? Oh yeah, well, okay, well, I'm leaving. You wanna stay here? Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna go now, all right? Well, you ever done that before as a parent or maybe you've seen that? Here's why I've never actually followed through on that because I'm afraid of the police. <laughs> it's illegal to leave my, parent, my kids 
at the store that way. So, you know, we get into these situations where we're threatening things that we can't even do, and our kids aren't stupid. They know this, and so they take full advantage of it. And I find myself in those circumstances, and there were plenty, uh, where I, I started to address the symptom, or I'm sorry, the, the, the behavior uh, instead of the symptom of that behavior. You know what I'm saying? So they start acting up. And so I just start addressing the fact that they're acting up. In my mind, as their father, they should reflect me and my maturity and therefore show obedience and, and decorum and all sorts, you know, the, be, be, be silent in the store as we're walking around. But in reality, what's happening is there are these little monkeys running around, and, and what are you going to do with them? And so you start addressing the behavior rather than the symptom behind the behavior. I wish I had stopped earlier in my life as a parent to just stop and go, wait a minute, are they hungry? Did we just blow through nap time? There's times where I, I felt like I was gonna be super dad and just be like, you know what, we're just gonna, we're gonna blow right through nap time here. It's gonna be great. It'll be fine. It'll be fun. And it always just ends in mayhem. But I, I started addressing the behavior rather than the symptom. And with the kids in our lives, we need to take a step back and go, okay, what's really going on here? What's happening here? Uh, and rather than addressing these behaviors, I'm now, I'm now you know, trying to discipline this monkey poop fight that we're in now in the middle of a grocery store instead of actually uh, talking and looking at the, the, the actual um, reason behind that. It took me way too long to stop and ask, is he hungry? Did I toy with fate by blowing through nap time? Have I been ignoring her requests for time and attention? It's hard, but before we ask, um, we, we have to ask before we, we uh, discipline. Um, before I make this a disciplinary issue, did I ignore a need that led to this? So, we provoke our kids when we ignore opportunities to spend time with them, we ignore the symptoms behind the behavior. We also uh, provoke our kids when we compare. When we compare. Uh, when we compare ourselves to other parents. It's really hard being a, a parent today because you look around on social media and all this, and I'm not here to bag on social media. Social media is fine. It's very neutral when it comes to the, a moral discussion. It's how we use it, right? Uh, but it's really, really easy to begin to compare ourselves. And this is true of anybody with anything, but we're talking about parenting today. So, you know, you look on there, and it's just this one snapshot of this person who looks like they're just crushing it as a parent. What you don't see is the tears before and after the snapshot was taken. Uh, and so it's really, really easy for us, even subconsciously, to look at these things, to look around, to see how kids are acting with their parents, and we start to compare ourselves to other people in our lives. We do this with other relationships as well. Do you think comparison is from the Spirit of God? No. It's not. And so when Paul says to take every thought captive... If you have those thoughts of comparison creep in, whether it, it pertains to parenting or any other relationship for that matter, you take that comparison thought captive and go, who sent you? Surely it's not the Spirit of God. And so we've got to deal with that comparison in our own hearts because it's destructive. It hurts you and it hurts your relationships. 
And in our context today, it hurts your relationship with your kids because then you start parenting out of fear, fear of what other people might think. You ever parent in public differently than you do in private? It might be a sign that you're comparing. We compare ourselves and it hurts our relationship with our kids and the other people around us. We also provoke our kids when we compare our kids to other kids. Here's a lazy thing that I've been tempted to do before and maybe even have done. Look at your brother. Is your brother doing that? Man, we compare kids to other kids. That's not healthy. That's not helpful. And we will stir them up. We will provoke them to anger and frustration as they maybe try to comply and try to meet the, the standards of the behaviors of another person in their life rather than treating them as individuals, people who are made uniquely in the image of God in special ways. And a lot of times, the things that your kids are best at are also the things that make you most annoyed with them. And so we gotta, we got to speak to those. we gotta, we got to, ha- in, in, objective, in, in uh, objective moments, take a look at the way God has made our kids and be encouraged by the fact that, that he's made them that way and so foster that and cultivate that in our children. We also provoke our kids when we forget. When we forget that our kids are not our peers. We provoke kids when we forget that they're the kids in our lives, they're not our peers. And I'm speaking specifically on like a social maturity level. Let's go back to the scene in Target or the grocery store. Things are just getting out of hand and things are crazy and we try to discipline. Or, or maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's at home and as a parent, you've just had enough. I don't know what it is about bedtime. Every night, bedtime rolls around and every night it's a shock to the kids that it's there, right? It's just, what's this new news? Bedtime? What are you talking about, Right? And it just becomes this thing where finally, as a parent, you're like, or a, or a care, caretaker, a guardian, you, you're like, you know what? In my loving, benevolent authority, I say to you, go to your room, go to bed, put your pajamas on. And the little kid just looks at you and goes, no, I won't. I hate you. And you just go, oh, how dare you speak to me thusly? I'm your father. And we're shocked when our kids sin against us. Our kids are little sinners. Don't be surprised by that. Like, stop. Just like, just like your kids are surprised about bedtime, parents, stop being surprised when your kids talk back to you. It is going to happen. So what do we do with that? Well, we, we parent them lovingly, but we don't treat them like our peers. We've got to understand they're still in this growth process. They're still trying to understand the relational dynamic that's going on between you and them. And you are in the driver's seat when it comes to that, not your kids. It's easy to let our emotions drag us to their level of maturity rather than remember that they don't even mean 75% of what they say. We forget that our kids' brains are not fully developed. You ever ask your kid, what were you thinking? And what do they say? I don't know. Right? We've all been there. We've all seen this. What were you thinking? I don't know. Well, uh, let me tell you uh, and show you what they were thinking. This is the, uh, 
prefrontal cortex. We're gonna do a little, little we're going a little sciencey here today, all right? I'm, not, I'm no professional, but this blew my mind. This is actually revolutionary for me. I was, uh, I was in youth ministry for like 14 years. When I learned about this, it was just like, what? So hopefully that is for you, and maybe I just set it up so you're gonna be disappointed, but whatever. Uh, prefrontal cortex, big, big part of the brain right up here. Uh, and the prefrontal cortex is really, really important. It has, it, it deals with, um, it, it enables us uh, to have empathy, uh, things like insight, response flexibility, emotion regulation, body regulation, morality, intuition, attuned communication, fear modulation. So pretty much anything that has to do with being a functioning human being in society, the prefrontal cortex is responsible for. Here's the thing. The prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until the age of 25. Yeah. Anybody under 25 in here? Your prefrontal cortex is underdeveloped. All right, let's not make fun of those people when we walk out of here, but I'm just saying you have an underdeveloped brain, okay? It's, it's fine. It's, what, it's how God made you. It's where you're at right now. So now, now, now let's, let's back that up a little bit into our younger, younger children. Like these, these abilities to, to do these things, they're, they're gone. The ability to evaluate the outcome of decisions, right? The ability to evaluate, okay, if I do this, this is going to happen. Um, as a grown man, if I'm standing, somehow I find myself on a roof and there's a collapsible table down in the driveway, and I'm standing here and I'm thinking, I could jump down and onto that collapsible table in the driveway. But because I'm a grown man and my prefrontal cortex is fully developed, I'm gonna be like, no, you know what? I'm gonna break something if I do this. And the people chanting my name, well, whatever. They're gonna stop chanting in a few seconds anyway, so I'm gonna leave, right? That's my prefrontal cortex going, ah, ah, ah. My 19-year-old son, if he's standing on that roof, and that table is there, and people are chanting his name. He's like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and there's girls watching, so woo! It's that prefrontal cortex. It's what makes teenagers actually really a ton of fun. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I'm lame now. Oh, I will hurt myself. Okay. <laughs> Darn you, prefrontal cortex. Also, the ability to interpret emotion. Get this. This is really important. Your kids don't fully understand how to interpret what you're feeling. So what could happen, maybe you've experienced this before, in an interchange, what, you're, what you think is excitement, they interpret as fear or anger. What you are, 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 are experiencing and trying to communicate as joy or happiness, they interpret as mockery because their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. They don't have the capacity to fully do that. So, when you say, what were you thinking? They weren't. And when they say, I don't know, they don't. This is really helpful for us as people with younger people in our lives. And if you're here and you're, you're under 25, I'm, I'm, I hope you're here. I'm not mocking you at all. Uh, maybe that will help you understand. Not that you use that for license, though, either. Like, don't go out and be like, hey, prefrontal cortex, sorry. <laughs> but this is, we're all just part of this development process that God has arranged and, and set up in our bodies. And it's really helpful for us to understand where we're at and how we think 
and process information, and it's really helpful to understand where the people in our lives are at, how they think and process information. So your kids are not your peers. They don't even have the, the physiological capacity to be your peers. We forget to, and this is how we provoke our kids, that our kids' needs change over time. So what I mean by that is sometimes we get caught up and stuck in parenting little Johnny when he's eight like he's still three. Or like he's, or like when he's three when he's now eight. I'm not sure if I said that right, but you get the idea. I want to show you a graph that helps um, illustrate this. It's really complicated, so I'll have to explain. No, I'm, obviously it's not. Um, I stole this from uh, Dr. Tim Kimmel. Uh, through uh, grace-based parenting. This is really helpful for me as a parent to understand this really, really simple um, concept here. That, and it moves from, from your left to right. That when our kids are first born, the, the, the primary role that we have for them is that they, they need protection. Right? I mean, think about that. A newborn needs protection from anything. They can't even feed themselves, change themselves, all of that stuff. So we're, we're protecting them as parents. But over time, as they grow, we start preparing them, right? So I, I get to be in that phase of life right now where, man, we've, we've done all we can, my, my wife and I, to prepare them, and, and certainly with the help of other people in our lives, our church and our friends and our family, to prepare them to the point where my son's getting married this, this Friday. And it's going to be a wonderful celebration, not just because it's marriage, but because I, as a proud father, get to say, I had a part in this. He, I, I didn't completely mess it up and screw it up. And so, so as parents, we're moving towards preparing our kids to be fully functioning adults in society. And we've got to recognize that as they go along in life, our protection of them needs to grow smaller as our preparation and preparing them grows bigger in life. I think sometimes we exasperate our kids when we are protecting them, when we should be preparing them. You see this a lot in the teenage years, where we're reluctant to give responsibilities, to give ownership, to still keep them in a bubble when they want to break out and, and find themselves and find out who they are in life. We also provoke our kids and exasperate our kids when we're preparing them when we should actually be protecting them when they're younger and we're not treating them as though they have all that they should have all of this freedom yet. We got to figure that out as parents and you know it's it's messy it's a messy deal. It's it's a it's a it's a slow and it's a growing process. But we got to figure out this and, and, and the, at the at the very least we can start to ask as parents. Okay, in what ways does my my child or or even the rest of us, the kids in my life, how can I help protect them? But also how can I help prepare them? In life. Paul then turns from saying, um, don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that God has revealed his way to us. It's this way of love and really all of Scripture and the instructions in Scripture can really be are under this heading of love. 
of love for God, love for one another. And so this discipline of the Lord that Paul is talking about here, it's based on scripture as we as, as followers of Jesus. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not sure where you are with the Bible and, and what you believe about church and all that stuff. I, and I'm sure this church is so glad that you're here and we hope that you keep coming. And for, for you right now, you've gotten certain values in life. That, uh, that you are, are hoping to pass on to your children. But you should know that really um, what we believe is that it's the love of Christ that leads us to genuine love, this genuine understanding of love that we can only have in God as we go to God as our Heavenly Father. And so we together are following Jesus the best that we can together and trying to learn from him and follow him, trusting that he has rescued us and forgiven us through his blood that was shed on the cross. We follow a Jesus who, who predicted his death and resurrection, and he died and he resurrected. He is alive today, and we follow after him in that. And so that's what we want to pass on to our children because we believe that with all of our hearts. Paul is making a really important assumption here, and that is that you are your child's primary spiritual leader. So I am going to talk just, just to the parents in the room just for a moment. You are your child's primary spiritual leader. And that actually extends farther and farther into the teenage years than you even realize or assume. You have a ton of influence. You have the most influence in your kid's life for a very long time. But that's also true of the rest of us, the church community. We get to come alongside these kids and their primary spiritual leaders and speak into that as well and be allies with the parents in our community to help them grow in the discipline of the Lord and following after Jesus. You are the guide to truth, to what is right and wrong. And so with that in mind, I want to wrap us up here what is it, what it, what it might look, what's a summary of what it looks like to, to raise our kids in the discipline of the Lord? And so here's my outline for that. It's look, listen, and live. Incidentally, also good advice for crossing railroad tracks safely, but that's for another time. Look, listen, live. Look for opportunity to spend time with your kids. Look for those chances and um, I like to use this phrase, get on the floor with your kids. I mean that literally, but also kind of metaphorically, because as they grow, they're not. But think about this. Kids live on the floor, don't they? Like we're constantly saying, get up off the floor, get off the floor. They're, all, they're constantly on the floor. And so we as parents, we have this opportunity to love our kids really in a Christ-like way. I mean, if you think about this, like I don't want to get too over-spiritualized this, but this is real. God left heaven in the form of Jesus to come down to us to the floor. And so we as parents, in the love of Christ, we get to meet our kids in love on the floor. We get to go down to their level. We play with them on the floor. We talk with them on the floor. And as they grow, it's not so much the floor anymore, but it's still engaging ourselves in the things that they like. Too many times as, parent, as a parent, my temptation has been to be like, hey, you want to spend some quality time? Come do the things that I'm doing. Well, in love as a parent, I think we're to pursue our kids in the things they like doing as well participating them with them, quote-unquote, on the floor. So look for opportunities to do that. They need to know that they're secure in your love, and the best way to express that is through time. Balanced time 
but time. And I was even, I, I would even have to be like, okay, let's, hey, Dad, would you do this? Would you play Legos with us? Yeah, sure. Um, I, can, I can do that. Um, and I'll even tell them at times, like, I will we'll do this for 15 minutes. But that 15 minutes is so rich and stuff. And then I've got to go on to do some other things. But always coming back to that and seeing um, and, and engaging with them on the floor, so to speak. Also look for opportunities to teach your child important values. This may be a helpful exercise for you. Ever thought through, like, what are your family values? What do you really care about? I think if you actually gave yourself some time, and this is for anybody, whether you're married, a parent, or single, or whatever, like, what are your values? What are the things you care about that you want to pass on to the people that are following after you in your relationships? And then are you deliberately passing those on to the people around you, including your kids? Proverbs 22.6 says, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. We have an opportunity as we are parenting our kids, especially young kids, to impress these values on them. And they won't depart from them later. You're building an important foundation in their lives. Uh, Car time is great time for this. You ever notice that? I don't know, maybe it's just with my kids, but, but probably your kids as well, because I've heard this from other parents as well. As soon as you get in the car, you have like this captive audience, and they have a captive audience. You ever notice that? And they just start talk, 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 talk. Take advantage of that. Like turn the music, turn the talk radio off for a little bit, and use that car time to talk with your kids. Even as you leave church here today, parents, ask some leading questions. Use car time to disciple your kids to be their spiritual leader. Take that time. It's a great little time to do that. Also look for opportunities to give responsibility. I'm talking about privileged responsibility. I'm not talking like, I mean, we got to give our kids chores and stuff as well, but like privileged responsibility. Like maybe when your kids are younger, giving them the, the chance and the responsibility to choose what's for dinner tonight and maybe even help in that process. As they get older, the responsibilities get scarier and scarier. So things like phones, that's a, that's a privileged responsibility. That is not a right your children are entitled to, right? How about car keys? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Every kid of mine is just like the worst thing. But it's so right. It's so good. I got to be honest with you. My, my boys especially, for whatever reason, my boys... When they were like 15, like right around 15, I couldn't stand them. They were total jerks. I, yeah, whatever. I mean, I love them, but you know, it's like, I don't like you right now. But when they turn, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just being honest. Uh, my kids are awesome, but when they were 15, they weren't. As soon as they turned 16 and they got their driver's license, and I handed them the keys of the car with grave instructions of, you know, like, text me when you get here or there and all that, you know, all that stuff, communicating. They flipped a switch. Like, it was really overnight with that driver's license. They flipped a switch to suddenly, I remember like, oh, wow, you're actually fun again. Oh, you're, you're a pleasure to be around again. There's something about granting our kids responsibility that shapes them. Um, and I can't even fully dissect or explain that. I'm sure there's plenty of reasons why that is that I'm not going to go into. But it, it, the relational dynamic changed when I communicated to them, I trust you with this. 
And it starts out young with small things that are, are privileged responsibilities that then move up and up and up to, the, you know, to curfews and all sorts of different things. And we communicate these are privileges, but they're responsibilities that I'm going to trust you with. That is a powerful tool as a parent. So I, I would uh, um, really beseech you to leave here going, okay, what's a new responsibility I could give my child? And just watch and see what happens, how they react to that and how that affects your relational dynamic. Our kids need freedom to fail. One of my kids wrecked the car. And as a parent, you dread that phone call. Fortunately, he or she, I will not narrow it down, was fine. <laughs> uh, but you know, you... you you, you recognize, like, okay, in the middle of this responsibility, I might get this phone call. Uh, sorry, is my time up? <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> as, a, as a parent, you know, you, you just trust in that. So um, our kids need the freedom to fail. Um, also, listen. So you look, you listen to people in your life who really care about you and your kids. Stop listening to people who don't even know you or don't care about you. Listen to the people in your life who know you, who know your kids, and love you. We need those people in our lives. Listen to understand your child. We need to stop getting into this rhythm of, of, of thinking that we know that what they're about to say or we know what they're thinking. Ask leading questions. Observe your child. Be, become a student because, uh, of your kid uh, and the kids around you in your life because they change over the course of time. Their capacity to uh, communicate and, and reason and even their sense of humor. Oh, man, it's awesome. It grows and changes. So be a constant student of the kids in your life and encourage them in that. And then listen to allow your child to express him or herself without fear of condemnation. Our kids need the freedom to be different than you. And that's all right. Also live. And this is really, really critical too. They need to see you live what you say you believe. They need to see you live what you say you believe. And when you don't, when you aren't living what you say you believe, they need to have the freedom to point that out. Because, I mean, the Bible even says, out, out of the mouths of kids, man, we're going to be challenged. And they speak the truth like no one else, right? They just see it as it is, and they call it as it is. And rather than get riled up and ticked off about it, let the Spirit of God convict your heart in that process. But we need to live what we say we believe, because kids are not dumb. They will see it, and they will understand that it's not adding up, and so um, we need to live what we say we believe. Now, in, in that, they need to hear you say sorry. When you mess up, when you sin against your kids, you need to be the one to go back and say, hey, you know what? I did this. Even if it's not your own kids, somebody, you know, you're a kid in your life. Go back to that kid. I'm sorry I did this. Will you forgive me? That's really, really, really powerful. I'm not here to overwhelm you as parents. I'm here to encourage you. Take a thing or two that you heard today and, and, and begin to talk about and think about and pray about how you might apply that. But I want to bring us back at the end here to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. 
Jesus spent a lot of time with kids. In fact, he was very, very countercultural in the way that he included and addressed kids. He said, don't hinder the kids, let them come to me. And that's our role as people of God, as followers of Jesus, is to encourage the kids to come to Jesus. And how do we do that? We take them by the hand and we lead them that way. In our time, in our emotion, in our energy, and in doing so, just like with any other relationship, we are loving the kids in our life as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We just acknowledge here today and even reflect back on these recent weeks as as this community has looked at love and relationship and what is love. And we look to you ultimately to answer that question, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would give us the remembrance through your spirit to reflect back on the weeks, the things that were said, the ways that perhaps we were challenged or encouraged, convicted even. And Lord, that you would lead us to a place not of shame or guilt or fear or anything like that, but of courage. Courage to love and to step out and to put the other first before ourselves. God, forgive us for our selfishness and our laziness. We know that those things were crucified with Christ and that each day we have the opportunity to take up the call, to take up our cross and to love in Jesus' name. That includes the kids in our lives, the adults, and everybody in between. So God, we thank you that you have empowered us to do that. And in doing so, express your love to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.